you have your Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. We're going to continue our study that we've titled Christ Above All in the book of Colossians. And as you're turning there, I want you to consider once again the struggles that the Colossian church was facing that we touched on last week. There, right in the middle of modern-day Turkey at the heart of the Lycus Valley where two rivers intersected, the Colossian church was facing a unique and combined assault from two different strains of heresy. On the one side, they had people in their midst saying that Jesus was good, but you also needed a special knowledge or a special experience to truly live the Christian life for the glory of God. And on the other side, you had people saying Jesus is good, but you also need these special rules, this extra set of morality in order to truly please and be accepted by God. And frankly, the Colossian church was collapsing under those attacks Epaphras takes a nearly month and a half long emergency trip all the way to visit Paul who was in Rome in prison. And there he tells Paul that there were people in the Colossian church who were starting to observe new moons and feasts and Sabbaths. They were starting to give mystical, charismatics, positions of influence in their church. And the Colossian church was in really, really bad shape. They were in danger of falling into the fate of their sister church, Laodicea, of whom Jesus said in the book of Revelation, I am ready to spit you out of my mouth. Now, how would we be tempted to handle such a situation if we had a relationship with a church like that? I don't know about you, but I'd be tempted to light into the church because of these failings. As a spiritual leader... I would not be satisfied with their actions, and I'd want to immediately point out all of their problems. That's how I, in my humanness, would be immediately tempted to handle my relationship with that church. Those problems would balloon enormously in my mind to the point where I'd forget everything else in light of those problems. You know, that's how most of us handle problems in our relationships, I'll never forget a survey that was released by the Pew Research Center back in 2014 where it examined dissatisfaction in the marriage relationship. According to their study, 57% of all married couples that responded to their survey said that they were unhappy in their marriage relationship. But what was surprising and humorous to me was the reasons they gave for why they were dissatisfied. It was not usually over some major issue like infidelity, but rather lots of smaller issues like pouring out a glass before I'm done with it, or hanging their coat on the wrong hook, or not following recipes when she's cooking, or always talking about his hobby, or forgetting to take the trash out, or stealing all my blankets at night, or asking whether clothes made her look fat, (laughs) or forgetting the shopping list after we're out. 57% of all unhappy marriages all had the same thing in common. They kept on focusing on all these smaller issues that eventually stirred up into a choking cloud of dissatisfaction they could not see out of. That can be a temptation for us even as it could have been for the Apostle Paul in this instant. Paul could have been tempted to immediately focus 
on all of the problems the Colossian church had to the neglect of everything else going on, and he could have hit them hard and fast and harsh with the truth that, admittedly, they needed to hear. But he doesn't do that. In the verses before us today, Paul begins by giving a prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossian church. Think of that. Paul writes to a body of believers who, up to this point, had at the very least been allowing attacks upon the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ as well as his word. And Paul begins by saying, we always thank God when we pray for you. That is incredibly gracious. Paul could have been extremely firm and harsh, when lo- and he could be, when, when love demanded it. But on the whole, when dealing with believers in churches, what you'll find when you study the Apostle Paul is that Paul followed the principle of 2 Timothy 2.24, that the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, for God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. See, Paul demonstrates that gentleness here to the Colossian church as he begins his letter with a prayer of thanksgiving to them. As he reminds them of all the ways that God's grace was at work among them as a church. Think of that. Instead of focusing on the faults that were present, Paul focuses first on God's grace that was present. And thus demonstrates for us what a God-honoring relationship of thanksgiving and encouragement looks like. What discipleship ought to look like. See, it's easy to spy out and search for faults that are present in other believers, isn't it? But can you spy out and search for God's grace that is at work in the hearts of other believers? Paul could. And as a result, uh, not only... Did he walk away from this conversation with a heart of thanksgiving? But I'm sure they walked away from this conversation with a heart of encouragement. After all, Paul gives here four gospel-centered reasons why he was thankful every time he prayed for the Colossian church. And boy, what an encouragement that must have been for them who were struggling there in Colossae. Paul's praying for us. And, and Paul is thankful for us. And yeah, he might have some really hard things to tell us next, but we know that he loves us and is for us. I wonder how much more we could be used to spread joy and encouragement to others if we made it our ambition to look for what God was doing in other people's lives, thank God for it, and encourage them by it. It might just change our lives. It might just change our relationships. It might just change our church forever. And so what are you looking for in those around you? That's the first question I want to ask you. What are you looking for in those around you? Faults or grace? Paul, an expert in seeing God's grace at work, gives here in verses 3 through 8 four reasons why he was thankful to God every time he prayed for them. And all four of them are firmly centered in the gospel that we believe. Paul says first that he is thankful for the God of the gospel who is doing his gracious work in their lives. That's in verse 3. Second, Paul said that he was thankful for the gifts of the gospel that he saw in their lives. That's in verse 4 to the beginning of verse 5. 
Third, Paul says that he was thankful for the growth of the gospel that was happening in and through them. That's at the end of verse 5, end of verse 6. And then finally, fourth, Paul was thankful for the givers of the gospel who had been faithful in planting the gospel in their lives. That's in verses 7 through 8. So this is how to be grateful for the gospel. Be thankful for the God, the gifts, the growth, and the givers of the gospel in other people's lives. This is how we can create a heart of thanksgiving within us, and this is how we can create a heart of encouragement in others. Be grateful, brothers and sisters, for the gospel. Be professionals at spying out not faults, but God's grace. Be grateful for the gospel. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 3 into verse 8. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of God, which is better to us than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it is available to us, that we have a copy of it in our own hands, that we can blow it up here on the screen, that we have total freedom to study it in public. Father, we thank you for these gifts, and we pray that we would not squander them this morning. Father, I pray by your Spirit you would cause us to pay attention to your Word. Father, show us the glory of Jesus Christ and the glory of the grace that is ours through faith in Him. And Father, I pray that this morning you would restore to us both the heart of thankfulness that Paul had because of the gospel and the heart of encouragement that the Colossians had as they were reminded of how you were at work within them. Father, I pray that you would help us to pick up the ministry that Paul had in this letter. That he was zealous to speak the truth, but he was zealous to speak the truth in love. Father, help us to learn what it means to truly honor you in our relationships with each other. Be able to point out your grace so that we might encourage each other into greater and greater Christ-likeness. For your honor and for your glory. Teach us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as he spies out and searches for God's grace at work in them, in the Colossians, Paul lets the Colossian church know that he can first be thankful for the God of the gospel. 
for the God of the gospel. He says in the verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. In other words, Colossians, whenever we pray for you, uh, that prayer always begins with thanksgiving. And who is Paul thanking in this verse? He says he always thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. From whom all the grace that Paul had spied out and he was going to recite flows from. See, as he begins to highlight the grace that was at work among the body of believers at Colossae, Paul makes it very clear that he is not patting them on the back for a job they're doing well done. No, he is raising the commendation and the glory to where it belongs to God and to God alone. He's the one who began a good work in them, and he's the one who was bringing it to completion. As Philippians 2.13 states and makes very clear, every positive action you and I ever take in our Christian walk is simply God working in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Truthfully, did the songwriter write, Every promise we can make, every prayer and step of faith, every difference we can make is only by His grace. God is the God of all grace, as 1 Peter 5.10 says, and so to Him belongs all the glory. And notice how God is described here. He's described as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Talk about the one who began the good work. God is literally the one from whom from whose presence God the Son, our Savior, was sent. That's the significance of using the term Father here. God is the Father who sent us our Lord Jesus Christ. When we were, God demonstrated His love for us, how? And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 4.14 says this, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and gave His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. John 3.16-17, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God did not send His Son in this world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And so as Paul reflected on the saving grace of Christ being evidenced among those Colossian believers, he directs the praise for the grace that he sees rightly to where it belongs, to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31, It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in God question when is the last time you prayed to God and just thanked him for being the God of the gospel for simply being the father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's be grateful for the gospel. Be thankful for the God of the gospel. 
Second, as Paul spied out grace in the Colossian believers' lives, he tells them that he can be thankful, second, for the gifts of the gospel. That's the end end part of verse 4 into the beginning of verse 5. Paul says, our prayers for you have been laced with thanksgiving ever since, end of verse 4, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul here gives thanks to God for the three most fundamental traits of a Christian, the three most fundamental virtues that always accompany saving faith and regeneration. He rejoices that he clearly sees these traits in the Colossian believers. He gives thanks to God for their faith, for their love, and for their hope. If you want to know where God's sovereign grace is present in a person's life, you will know because you will see a supernatural faith, love, and hope present within them. This is the great triad of supernatural virtues that God imparts to every true child of his in Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, right? They're always present. They're always there. Wherever salvation is, there you'll find them. But the greatest of these is love. And so even though Paul had never even seen the Colossian believers yet, as chapter 2 verse 1 indicates, the moment he heard from either faithful Epaphras or for someone else that they possessed the supernatural gifts of faith, love, and hope that accompany true salvation, all of Paul's prayers towards them began to be laced with thanksgiving. And Paul encourages them with that as he opens up this letter. He tells them first, that he is thankful for their supernatural faith. That's at the beginning of verse 4. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says, we thank God because you believe. We thank God because you have faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That was the starting point, ladies and gentlemen, with Paul's thanksgivings. And can I tell you, as a pastor, it's the starting point from my thanksgiving as well. Man, there might be a thousand sins you're dealing with. And weaknesses that you're struggling through. You might make a thousand mistakes so often throughout the day it causes your own eyes to roll. Welcome to the club. Even Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? But if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, there is no reason to despair. There is every reason to rejoice. Because, as we'll see soon in this book, if you have Christ, you, believer, have all you need. Sure, it doesn't mean that you might not need eventually some stern talking to like the Colossians did. Uh, But if you're in Christ by faith, the battle has already been won. Because in Christ Jesus, faith is not you trying to hold on to God. In Christ Jesus, faith is God, by his omnipotent power, holding on to you. As 1 John 5, 4 says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. What is the victory that has overcome the world? Our faith. And so Paul says, I'm so thankful when I pray for you. Because even though I'm going to have to correct you about a whole bunch of things, I know the battle's already been won. You've trusted in Jesus Christ, and we can build off of that. We can build off of that. I hear that you possess a supernatural faith, assurance, and reliance upon Christ. That you're not only saved by faith, but that you're living by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. That's a gift, ladies and gentlemen. That faith is a gift. 
It is the foundation upon which all spiritual ministry is built. Upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should believe. Faith is a gift of the gospel. And so when Paul saw faith, he didn't pat the Colossian believers on the back and say, Way to go to believe. No, he said, Oh, I thank God that you have believed. That God has given you the gift of faith. And so Paul, in developing a heart of thankfulness in himself and encouragement in them, says that he is thankful for the gift of their supernatural faith. Second, Paul says he's thankful for the gift of their supernatural love. He says at the end part of verse 4, Paul says, We always thank God ever since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Right? He recognized there was a supernatural love in that Colossian church that didn't break itself up into little segments of communities but was one whole family in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice here that their faith in Christ led to love for other believers. The false teachers in Colossae, this is really important, they were coming along and they were saying, no, 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 the fruit of, of, of true spirituality, man, is having like this awesome mystical experience. Right? It's having these private revelations from God. Right? It's being able to live your life and look this way on the outside. That's when you're really spiritual. And Paul says, whoa, you're all messed up. No. The true fruit of saving faith is love for all saints. That's how you know someone has truly been born of God, is that he loves the ones whom God loves. The true fruit of faith is love. As Galatians 5, 6 says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts as anything, but only faith working through love. Supernatural faith produces a supernatural love. 1 Peter 1.22 teaches, By obedience to the truth, you've purified your hearts for sincere brotherly love. There are so many people that are saying, man, we got to love each other. People in Christianity need to love each other, so let's get rid of the truth. And I'm sitting there thinking, no. The only way that you can purify your heart for a sincere brotherly love is by the truth. It is upon the truth that there is unity. It is upon the truth that love can be built. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 5 says God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. Love is a gift of the gospel. There are not some Christians who believe and some Christians who don't believe. All Christians believe. And there are not some Christians who love believers and some Christians that don't love believers. Every true believer who's been born of God loves the ones whom God loves. It's a supernatural gift. And Paul says, you have that. I mean, I thank God every time I pray for you because you have that supernatural love of God that earnestly desires one another's eternally best interest and sacrificially acts in accordance to that end. You honestly want what is best for each other and you do whatever it takes. They might have been struggling and knowing exactly how to apply that love, (laughs) Um, and how to show it in all godly wisdom and discernment, as he talks about later. But they had the love. They just needed to know how to show it. They needed to know how to show it. So they had that supernatural, sacrificial love for all the saints that accompanies true salvation. And so Paul says, I'm thankful for the gifts of the gospel. When I look at you, Colossians, I'm thankful for your supernatural faith that I see. I'm thankful for that supernatural love that you have for other believers. 
And finally, he says, I'm thankful for that supernatural hope. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Follow the logic here. Paul says that the reason why believers are able to exhibit enduring faith and enduring love here on this earth is because they have a specific eternal hope laid up for them in heaven. It is because of their hope that they can show faith and love. You say, what is that hope? In short, it's Jesus Christ. If I had to nail it down as as simply as possible for you this morning. Our hope is Jesus and everything that comes from him. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 through 20 says this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. A hope that is entered into the inner place behind the curtain where who? Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. In other words, Jesus is our hope in life and in death. Jesus is. And that makes total sense, by the way, because think about a believer. Why Jesus is your hope? What is the one thing that you have in your life that gives you a confident expectation about the future, believer? What is it? What's the one thing you've got that gives you a confident expectation about the future? It's Jesus, is it not? It's it's what he has done, and it's who he is that gives us hope. He's the one who emptied the tomb. He's the one who currently fills the throne in heaven. And he is the one who is returning for his own. His resurrection, his rule, his return, he is our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. If your hope has been grounded in anything else, you will not have peace. But if your hope is grounded in Jesus, in the empty tomb, the filled throne, and the returning Savior, you will have hope and peace in all trials and in all times. It's Christ and it's Christ alone. He is the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. He is our hope. He is our glory. He is our all. When you experience anxiety, when you experience worry and fear, it's a reminder that your hope has begun to become misplaced. This morning is a reminder for you to put your hope back squarely on where it belongs, to Jesus Christ, who is your hope. In this world, we of all people must be marked by hope. As the rest of the world crumbles, hallelujah, we have a kingdom who cannot be shaken, whose founder and builder is God. Through Christ Jesus, we have hope. As Paul writes later in Colossians 3, 4, he is our life. He is laid, he's the one who's laid up for us in heaven, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I see that. Man, you might have a thousand other issues going on in your life. But I can see that eager longing and that expectation for Christ's return. I see you've got that hope. The Colossian believers may have been struggling to know how to live in light of that hope, but they had it. They had that supernatural hope that only comes from the gospel. And so Paul, on a mission to spy out God's grace at work in their lives, he says, I thank God every time I pray for you because I see that supernatural faith, that supernatural love, and that supernatural hope that only comes through faith in Christ Jesus, that only comes through being born again by God's grace. Despite all of their struggles, Paul could still tell the Colossian believers, I'm thankful for you. 
And I'm thankful for all the gifts that I see that are at work in you. And I want to encourage you again as we finish this point. If you want to be a Barnabas, and you want to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ around you in their walk with God, become skillful at what Paul is skillful at here. Draw attention to the supernatural faith that you spy out in the, in the lives of those around you. How they're operating in dependence and, on a, and on, on upon obedience to God's word. Draw attention to the supernatural love that's at work in your brothers and sisters in Christ here at Grace Chapel. How they're serving and how they're showing compassion to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Draw attention to that because that's not them, that's God. Draw attention to the supernatural hope that's seen at work within them. As they can exhibit a faithfulness and a peace in the midst of trials, draw attention to that and encourage their hearts with the fact of an empty tomb, a filled throne, and a promised return. Just highlight every gospel gift in their lives. And I guarantee you, you will walk away with a heart that is more thankful, and they'll walk away with a heart that is more encouraged because they see that God, in His grace, by the gospel, is at work. Be grateful for The gospel. Don't point and become an expert in faults before you become an expert at pointing out and seeing God's grace. God's grace. Be thankful for the God of the gospel. Be thankful for the gifts of the gospel. Next, Paul says, when when I think of you Colossians, I can be thankful for the growth of the gospel. And that's at the end of verse 5 and to the beginning of verse 6. Of this, that is, of this hope, you have heard before in the word of truth, that is, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So here Paul rejoices in the growth of the gospel. And I would categorize it both as a numerical growth and as a spiritual growth. First, Paul rejoices in the gospel's numerical growth. Look at what he says there at the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. He says, of this, that is, of this hope. This hope I've been talking about. You've heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. And we can just stop right there for a second. Think about that. Paul is rejoicing in the spread of the gospel, that it had spread a thousand miles from Palestine to Colossae in the middle of Turkey. And indeed beyond this to the whole known world. Indeed, in just 30 years, the gospel had spread from Jerusalem into Syria, Asia Minor, Greece, Italy, likely by this time also into Egypt, North Africa, and Persia as well. This good news of grace through faith in Jesus Christ was the saving word of truth, the gospel for the whole world, and it was being evidenced because it was being embraced by people all around the world. And this understanding had immense implications for that Colossian church I want you to think about. I can only say it in passing this morning, but Paul mentions the global spread of the gospel here to remind the Colossians that the good news of Jesus Christ is not just a mystery religion isolated to the Lycus Valley in central Turkey. This is a massive movement of God taking place all over the world. If you think the gospel is small, that it's limited to West Liberty and you're bored with it, man, lift up your eyes around the globe and see what God is doing for His glory. He's building His church at the very gates of hell. And Satan cannot stand against it. This gospel is just not another choice on a buffet list of religions 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is the one true saving message for the entire world. And that is why we go into all the world and preach the gospel as Jesus commanded us in Mark 16 verse 15. That is why Jesus said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. That's why Paul testified in Romans 1.16 that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Acts 15.7, the early church came to realize at the Jerusalem council that the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And Paul rejoiced when he thought of the Colossians because it was evidence that that was happening. The Gentiles were believing. The gospel was going forth around the world. Every time he prayed for them, Paul was reminded how the gospel was for every tribe, language, people, and nation. And how is Acts 17, Xerxes 6 says the gospel to turn the whole world upside down. See, the gospel is just not for us here. The gospel is for the person you're going to check uh, groceries out with tomorrow. The gospel is for the person that you're going to do business with this week. The gospel is for the person you're going to be sitting next to in your classrooms. The gospel is for every single person who right now is alive on this globe. This is the saving gospel for them. If this message does not get to them, they will not be saved. And so Paul was rejoicing because he saw this gospel exploding around the globe. He rejoiced in the gospel's numerical growth, but most importantly, Paul rejoiced in the gospel's spiritual growth. He says around the world it is doing what? It's not just present there. It's not just people that heard it, but it was bearing fruit and it was increasing. As it also did among you in their very presence since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. This is similar to what's mentioned in Acts 12 verse 24 where it says that the early church that the word of God increased and multiplied. See, the word of God is not some stale, lifeless thing. It is alive and it is powerful and it is productive. That is why we preach it here at this church. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As Paul said in Romans 1 verse 16, it is the power of God. It is the word of God at work in those who believe, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And that is why Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.2 that if you want God's power unleashed in a community, preach the word. Preach the word. Do you want to see spiritual growth? Do you want to see transformation? Do you want to see fruit? Do you want to see impactful ministries, souls saved, and lives set on fire for God? Then get to know the word and preach it. Proclaim it. Declare it. Exhort it. Encourage by it. Plant it, water it, sow it, and watch God bring the increase. As God declares in Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that as it goes out of your mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's why I began my very first sermon here by quoting Moses, this is no empty word for you, it is your very life. And this word of truth, this gospel, Paul says here, is the good news of God's grace. That's the gospel. 
What is the gospel? It's the good news that there is a God who has grace for sinners like us. Every religion on the face of this earth and every false religion that was assaulting Colossae at that time was saying, if you want to get accepted by God, if you want to be saved, there's some some form of outward good deeds you have to do. But the reality of the gospel is that God gives salvation to those who do not deserve it and could never earn it. He offers salvation as a gift to those who acknowledge that fact by trusting in Jesus Christ that they cannot earn salvation. It is by grace you've been saved. So that's the good news of the gospel. And Paul rejoiced because it had reached the Colossians and they were believing. Therefore, as one commentator put it, the most significant day in the history of Colossae was not the day Xerxes rested in the city on his march against Greece, nor was it the day Cyrus marched his Greek army through the city. No, the most significant day in the history of Colossae was the day Epaphras came to town and planted the seed of the gospel. No banners unfurled in the wind, Nor did trumpets blare in the breeze, but lives were changed and destinies were eternally altered when the gospel was planted. Imagine that. Here we are in Ohio on the other side of the globe from Israel. The gospel has come to the furthest reaches of this earth. Praise God for it, that we have this good news. Be grateful for the gospel, which brings us to our final point. When Paul thought of the believers in Colossae, he could encourage them by saying, I can be thankful for the God of the gospel, for the gifts of the gospel, for the growth of the gospel, and then finally, for the givers of the gospel. He says in verses 7 through 8, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul introduces here and says that he was thankful for Epaphras. Why? Because Epaphras was the one who shared the good news of God's grace to those lost sinners in Colossae. That's why Paul says you learned it, right? You learned about the grace of God and truth in the gospel from Epaphras. Think about that. Paul was preaching the gospel in Ephesus. Epaphras comes and he hears the gospel there in Ephesus. And what does he do? He realized people from his own town need to hear that saving gospel as well. He realized that someone needed to please God. Someone needed to honor Christ, and someone needed to take the gospel to the people that he knew in Colossae. And so Epaphras didn't look around for anyone else to do it. He said, God must have put me in this place for a reason. I'll share the gospel. I want you to consider, believer, first this morning, that every single one of you who have ever trusted in Jesus Christ had an Epaphras in your life. Did you not? You had someone who knew you, that realized that the saving gospel was for you. And gave you the gospel so that you would hear the word of Christ and believe. Every single one of you have had an Epaphras. I want to challenge you this morning, believer, that every single one of you are an Epaphras. That God has put you in a certain position. And he has given you the gospel because God wants you to be the one that shares it with them. Don't wait for anyone else to share the gospel with your unsaved co-workers and friends and neighbors. God has put you there among them. For you to share the gospel with them. That is why we can be thankful. Because not only has God given us givers of the gospel. But God by his grace has made us givers of the gospel to others. And we can take part in this gospel mission. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they ever to hear without someone preaching? 
Therefore, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Romans 10. This glorious gospel sent by God that gives supernatural faith, love, hope, and grace to all who believe it, all funnels down to human servants, to someone like you and me who open our mouths and share from the word of truth the good news of saving grace found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Be grateful for the gospel and tell those who do not have it the good news of Jesus Christ. So how did the Colossian believers take this? They were encouraged. They were encouraged. Did the Colossian church have issues? Oh yeah, they did. As do we all. (laughs) But above all, Paul saw the grace of God at work in their lives and he gave thanks to the God of the gospel for the gifts of the gospel, the growth of the gospel, and the givers of the gospel that were present among them as a church. They had issues. Oh, but praise God, they had grace. They had grace. Four evidences of God's grace at work in their lives. Four reasons to give thanks for the gospel at work in the Colossian church. So this letter demonstrates for us A God-honoring relationship of thanksgiving and encouragement that existed because Paul chose to look for grace, for the grace of the gospel at work in others. We would do well to do the same in our relationships as well here at this church. We would do well to be grateful for the gospel. This is the word of God from Colossians 1, 3 through 8, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience. To that end, as the men come forward for communion this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that in the midst of this world that is often chaotic, as we consider our own hearts that are often prone to failing in sin, Father, we thank you that we have a Savior whose name is Jesus, who conquered sin and death on our behalf, who right now rules over every affair of our lives and is one day coming for his own to bring us into his presence with great glory and joy. Father, we rejoice in the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to become professionals at spying out grace in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, that we might have hearts of thanksgiving and that we might have a ministry of encouragement to our brothers and sisters here in this place. May you be honored by how we can see by faith your work in the lives of others. May we encourage others by it for your honor and for your glory as we strive to please you and honor our all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.